0: From the research that I do, the argument that I make from a a conscious awareness lens is that a healthy society can never be built on a foundation of sacrifice. I think a healthy society can only be built on a foundation of self-love, consciousness, communication, morality, justice, self-love.
1: Welcome to the Conscious Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Rhiannon Roseland. I'm a serial entrepreneur and social innovator. I like to gather people from all different walks to talk about what I call the conscious economy. I believe that we can create a more equitable system, one that honors the well-being of people, the well-being of the planet, the well-being of business, and includes art and creativity. Join us each week as we tackle a different intersection of this big but critical conversation. What's up everyone and welcome to the Conscious Economics Podcast. I'm your host Rhiannon Roseland and today I am joined by Dr. Jeffrey Overall. Jeffrey is a professor of entrepreneurship and strategy at Ontario Tech University and he is also a co-founder of the Global Institute for Conscious Economics. He's been doing deep research around the connection between consciousness, mindfulness, and better business outcomes. And so we are so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. And so I guess the first place that I want to start off, because I've been able to read and have a lot of conversations with you um, and read a lot of your work and research. And so one of the things that really struck me was you talking a bit about the cognitive process of autopilot. Mm and how that may um, impact business and the economy. So can you start there by kind of sharing what is autopilot and then how does that impact business and the economy?
0: Thank you for having me. Yeah, in terms of autopilot, that just basically means that um, people aren't fully present in the moment, they might be, you know, thinking about things to come in the in the future, thinking about stuff in the past. So they're not in a in a state of like awareness. Um,
1: so it's like that default mode yeah. kind of where you're
0: kind of just like walking around, just doing the motions. You're not overly thinking about what you're doing on a like per task basis Mm -hmm. you're kind of just going through the motions and you're not you know aware of your surroundings yourself your emotions the context around you and these types of things so you're just lacking self-awareness so in terms of how that functions in the economy some of the issues that can arise from people that are operating at an autopilot level is that they can often behave unethically when that happens some of the research that I've done is that there's three things that happen. The first thing is because they're in a state of autopilot and they're not aware of what's happening in their situation is that when they're presented with like an ethical dilemma or an ethical problem or or something to that effect is that they're in a place of lacking awareness is that they don't recognize that they're even experiencing an ethical problem. Mm-hmm. So they fully just don't see it as an ethical problem. They see it as something else, see it as a business problem or something to that effect. So what the research says is if you're, you know, you don't even recognize that you're encountering an ethical problem, you're more likely to behave unethically. I mean, that's just typically how that works. So let me
1: just kind of unpack that a little bit with you Mm -hmm. or understand that a little bit more. So obviously we all understand what it means when we're kind of distracted and we may not be Being paying attention to what's in front of us. Mm -hmm. But I think there's this deeper deeper autopilot that you're talking about where you're kind of going through the motions of your life. You wake up every day, you're maybe taking care of your family, you're going to your job, but you're not really thinking about the deeper influence of your life and your choices on the world around you. Um, Maybe in a business setting, you're at work and you're Feeling like you you know just have to do whatever is being told or asked of you, mm-hmm. and you never once kind of wake up out of that to say. But maybe I don't believe in this or this isn't aligned with my values, therefore I'm not doing that. Is that kind of what you're
0: Yeah. So basically saying? you're you're very much more impacted by the situation, like the context that is presented. So if the ethical problem is something at work and it's, you know, potentially as a challenge to you personally, you're more the thing that's gonna have the greater weight is the impact that it's gonna have on you. Right. And as a result of that, you might be more focused on your own situation and be blinded by these other things that are impacting you and through just this limited uh, awareness or recognition you won't see that you'll kind of be blinded to it and then you'll just do what you think is going to be better for your circumstances doing what you're told or all the rest of these things so when that happens people rely on various types of rationalizations. So what that looks like is people will say, you know, I'm just doing what I'm told, or um, I had no choice, like, You know, I'm doing my job or these types of things. Or you might just say, you know, I'm not hurting anybody and there's no victim or or Mm -hmm. there's no injury in these types of things. So that typically happens. They just use these various forms of rationalization. And the third thing. So when you go through that lack of recognition, lack of awareness, rationalization, then you actually judge your behavior as ethical. So whenever anybody behaves unethically, they think they've done nothing wrong. And this is just like a human Maybe not every
1: time, but a lot of... For the
0: most part is that, you know, they'll use these rationalization techniques to try to like ease the guilt and the shame because of it some conscious or subconscious level, you've know what you've done. So people will use these rationalizations that'll kind of just, you know, tame the feeling of guilt or shame or anything like that. And whatever residual guilt and shame that's left, people will address that through various forms of like escapism, like they'll over consume, overeat, overdrink. you know, cram emotional consumption to keep those kind Shit. of emotions at bay. And then just Fully get rid of whatever residual guilt and shame's left over from that initial. Sort okay, of
1: and obviously in our world today we see this expressed. So we see people really dealing with numbing behaviors, whether it be like numbing on your phone or, or, or numbing with a substance. And when we're talking about this idea of how this trickles into business, we do see a lot of really unethical things that are happening Mm -hmm. and in the name of business or in the name of, you know, ensuring that the shareholder gets their value. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying that a lot of um, business leaders and a lot of um, people that are maybe making some of these decisions that may not be morally aligned are on this sort of autopilot. And then they're using these rationalizations as to why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's my job. I was hired to do this. Um, and is there like some blatant examples you can use of just like sheer, like unethical behavior, um, that was rationalized?
0: Yeah, usually, I mean, just that, that process that I explained is just what happens when an individual human kind of goes through that process. So like any site types. You had like
1: a car one or something. I remember. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The
0: Ford Pinto situation. Yeah. So, um, so in that particular case, it was there was a a professor who became afterwards at his time at Ford became a business ethics professor. So, um, and he worked at Ford during this Ford Pinto crisis, which was the issue was, is that there was a design flaw in the vehicle that would cause it to like rupture and explode on low impact. So, and this happened in 1970. So when that happened, there was a recall coordinator, this professor, and he was in the room with all these people and they're like, you know, should we recall this thing? It's like killing people and it's horribly maiming people. Um, and then they looked at the value, of, you know, what would it cost to recall the thing? What would it cost per, you know, human life, basically? So they did an equation, the recall... Uh, was more expensive so they would just pay out lawsuits and allow this thing to occur and what happened through that process is that the organization gave them like decision making manuals so any type of decision that they had to encounter they would just go to this decision making manual would just automatically put them in a state of autopilot like I don't have to think this manual manual thinks for me so according to the manual this is what they were told to do and then this was the situation so this professor of business ethics afterwards said that You know, before he worked at Ford, he was like, I would have had an ethical obligation to recall. While he was at Ford, he thought of no real ethical reason to recall because it was just normalized within the company. It was like the social norms in this situation was do this, everyone does it. And then when he left, that sort of social situational framework He was like, well, I had a duty to recall. So it was just like within that context, you have no awareness, you put people to sleep, but these decision-making manuals, and you you don't have any critical thinking situation. So the interesting thing about this is that you know, this can happen to anybody. This is like a human Well, I was just going to ask yeah. you,
1: so uh, first of all, I'm just kind of understanding this myself and I absolutely see the connection because we're seeing so much happening in the world whether it be, you know, in, in certain businesses that are just making certain decisions that absolutely are head scratching, they don't make sense, you know, we're destroying the environment, we're hurting people or whatever else, and we just kind of keep doing it and doing it and doing it and it's like we're all collectively doing it and it's normalized. Hmm. Even and the numbing's normalized. Like, well, we all binge drink on the weekend or we all do whatever. And then because everyone's doing it, it seems like it's okay or it's the right thing to do. Mm. And I think that is part of trying to build this more conscious economy or bring more insight into these things is that the first thing we have to do is kind of bring that awareness just because everybody's doing it, just because this is the way it's been done doesn't mean that it's the right way or that it's the most beneficial way. Mm. Um, so I think that's really interesting. But my next question is... When you're doing this research, is it business leaders that tend to be more unethical than the average citizen or like what, what does the research show there?
0: So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a human issue. You know there's no difference between a human being that is a business person or a human being that does some sort of other occupation. So what the research has showed is that business people are no more unethical than the average person. What some of the research that I did is I controlled for deviant personality types. So narcissism is one of them. Uh, Machiavellianism which is just a form of Deceit manipulation exploitation Machiavelli was a fifteenth century political advisor, and then you know his work has been used for business strategy and a lot of different things and people kind of fall on a spectrum if they're high machiavellian or versus low machiavellian so uh, business Which means
1: pe- wet again sorry I'm so this. if
0: you're a high machiavellian person you're more likely to behave unethically you're more likely to you know, exploit and manipulate people, and okay. you'll be able to rationalize that. So,
1: your research controlled for that? I
0: controlled for that. So, I, I took that into account and I like compared the people that were Machiavellian versus not Machiavellian, and there was no difference between business people and the average person. Like, the in average person could behavior. be just as Machiavellian as the business person. So, there's no real difference. Okay. So, the issue kind of resides in that. There's.
1: But there's more power that you hold in a position of power. For sure. And then
0: that's the other thing, as well as like, you know, business leaders and politicians tend to have, depending on, you know, what role that they play in an organization, is that they could have a greater impact yeah. on the masses based on their. You know, behavior.
1: OK, so that's interesting. So now kind of taking that and coming into our current dynamic that we're in right now, where we're in this particular um, economic system, especially in the West, that seems to have gone in a very unethical way. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're seeing just mass devastation to the planet. We're seeing, you know, labor rights and human rights being violated all in the name of, of business to some regard. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found really interesting um, obviously, in talking to you um, as you know a professor who studies these things, and then comparing that to what I understand based more on, I guess, this pop psychology. So there's pop psychology, which essentially means that we're continuously in the popular culture being um, exposed to certain definitions of things. And then we assume, or we all accept that those things are true, um, even if they're not. And so I think this is what's happened in terms of understanding or identifying this current economic system with the philosophical root of what capitalism was intended for. And then how it's expressed now, Mm -hmm. would you say that that's true and, and what, What is that?
0: Yeah. Um, So with what I just said about, you know, talking about more or less trying to explain that this is like a human issue. This is like a human flaw. Like the, the unconscious mind is a human issue. It's not an economic system issue. Mm -hmm. So if you take that human and you put it in a communist economic system, you're going to get unethical behavior. Put that person in a socialist economic system, you're going to get unethical behavior. If you put that person in a capitalist economic system, you're going to get instances of unethical behavior as a result of just this is a flawed situation so in terms of capitalism and what you're so we
1: can't blame any particular system just like in politics no matter what you know politician political stripe you're still going to get some unethical behavior and some that's good and
0: if the arena is set up for that you're gonna have it and our arena as it's set up now you know, it's, I mean, it doesn't really matter. A human is a human and they're sure. going to do whatever it is yeah. if, as and, a result and of it. And the
1: connection that you're making is that this unethical behavior that permeates all systems and all things, the only way that we can really address that is by addressing the unconsciousness or autopilot that allows us not to actually tap into our higher purpose, our higher ideals. Um, and so this is just like perpetuating itself because we're basically asleep to it. So we can blame all of the outside things, but in the end, it's sort of happening from within.
0: Yeah. You got to look in the mirror and recognize your own sort of context. And then in terms of, you know, the capitalism debate is that there's a lot of misconceptions that are thrust upon capitalism. I mean, in, in in the basis of it, capitalism is an economic system and it's an economic system that's based on just textbook definition. Is a free market and there's a complete separation of state from the economy. So there's no government involved in a capitalist economic system as it is um, defined.
1: That's the philosophical definition. That,
0: yeah, that's just more the that's more the economic definition. Then then there's a philosophical definition. You just gotta kinda look back and say, okay, well, what's the foundational root? Of that. What is that built on? And every sort of, you know, framework that we have in our society is built on some foundation. You gotta go down to what is that actually what is the sure. philosophical root of that situation? Yeah.
1: So you're defining that in its economic definition, in its mm-hmm. philosophical root, which is based on a free market with no state intervention whatsoever, which really has that ever have we seen that ever anywhere? Like does mm-hmm. that exist anywhere? No
0: there's never been a, like a full complete laissez-faire capitalist system because like when you go through history there was cantilism which was basically you know the crown was the head of the state and then they controlled the marketplace and then you know that's transferred into governments and elected assemblies and different things like that but the philosophical root of what capitalism stands on is that individuals when we go back to the individual level is that individuals focus on advancing their long term self-interest. And they're doing this using morality, justice, and not harming other people or sacrificing other people. So that is really... Going down to the bottom of what—that's the—that's the root. Uh, that's, the, that's, the root okay. that's and then you build on that. So okay. that's the foundation of what capitalism is supposed to so be about.
1: So I recall there is obviously a Nobel Prize-winning economist named Muhammad Yunus, mm. and he—most people will remember him as the founder of the Grameen Bank in Bangladesh, which was the start. He—he he was the grandfather of the microloan system. He kind of talks about this dual or two-tiered capitalism. Like he says that capitalism has become this other thing. And I've heard th- these references to like a crony capitalism. So can you explain what that is? And is that more what we're seeing manifest right now here in the West?
0: Yeah, so what that system is, is uh, Eunice calls it, it's a hybrid. Oh right. So okay. there's free markets, but then there's a government that intervenes in the marketplace. And then- crony capitalism just basically means that people are sacrificing their long-term interests for short-term gains. And this is what Eunice talked about. And he said, because of the potential for government intervention in the marketplace, and this is what, you know, the people that were, you know, the philosophical founders of this economic system were concerned and warned about, is that through government intervention, there is the potential for uh, corruption. And this was what Yunus Uh, warned about. And like there's one specific aspect that he suggested is through lobbyist efforts that can lead to this sort of corruption and unethical behavior that we're seeing in the world. So lobbying is really a euphemism for bribery. Like some people might not like that, but what it typically involves is you have industries, corporate interests that will give money to politicians and political leaders to influence Uh, legislation so the second largest industry lobbyist group is the oil and gas industry and i mean we can see a lot of the damage to the planet that that particular industry has been responsible for and there has been you know just in our country there's been instances of at least like there's a scandal here in our country. Um, it was the SNC-Lavalin scandal that happened a couple of years ago where they're saying the federal government was um, trying to influence the attorney general because that organization was under criminal investigation. So they're saying, OK, there's some back door potential situations that can occur as a result of these lobbyist efforts.
1: Hold that thought. We have a quick word from our partners before going back to the episode. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, RBC Investees. Backed by expert human advisors, RBC Investees is a smart, online, automated investment service that allows you to invest with low effort and low cost. Open your first RBC Investees account and pay no management fees for your first year. Plus, start investing with as little as $100. Simply visit rbcinvestees.com slash getinvesting And sign up using promo code AA407. And now back to the episode. I think, A, what I've learned so far from you here is that what we're calling capitalism isn't actually capitalism in its definition. It's this hybrid capitalism. And that hybrid capitalism has. Proven to be extremely damaging. Mm. But just like you said, if we adopted what is the philosophical, actual capitalism Mm. without doing the internal work we will probably end up in a very similar, you know, corrupt situation as as we would in any system really yep. because it comes down to this idea of human beings being unconscious. And so now I know you study consciousness and you're looking at business and economic s- systems through that lens. What do you actually define as someone's long-term interest because I think it's going to be very different than what an an unconscious definition is because an yeah. unconscious definition I'll tell you when I hear I'm out for my own long-term interests and values, mm-hmm. I think that I think of like selfishness. Mm-hmm. I think of not caring about the community or the collective, but only thinking about myself yeah. um, or what's wh- how I'm gonna gain like what's the one up for me mm-hmm. but you think about it in a really different lens through the lens of consciousness in the way that you research so what it, what is that lens?
0: Yeah, so when I initially looked at that, you know, definition in the philosophical root of, you know, advancing your long-term self-interest, I was thinking about it and I was like, yeah, okay, Um, I see the merits to that, but I also see, depending on how you define long-term and the lens of that, so through the perspective of consciousness, you got to shade that in a little bit and need a little bit more details of what long-term means, right? and so then you're to some, like to some extent self-interest soul. as well. So I look at it and say, okay, if you're looking at it for a person, an individual that's saying, okay, for their long-term self-interest might just be for the length of their life. So then you could be like, okay, there might be some ways where people that are behaving in the long-term self-interest for the length of their life you could probably squeeze in a few things that are potentially unethical, but if you put in the the virtues of morality and empathy and working together and reciprocal altruism, which is a big part of rational egoism and that philosophical root is you're doing something for somebody else, and then in turn, they're going to do something for you later on. So I looked at it and said, okay, this needs to be adjusted, need to sort of stand on the shoulders of, of giants that kind of built that sort of foundation to that point. And I said, okay, from a lens of consciousness, long-term self-interest needs to integrate karma. So every action has a corresponding reaction. So if I hurt you, you know, in this life, I might have to address that at a future moment in time. And this comes into the second feature of it is reincarnation. So there's a lot of, you know, spiritual beliefs on both Eastern and Western end of the spectrum that believe that we continue to reincarnate in lives here to evolve, to learn lessons, to grow, and to balance our karma. So if you're acting in your long term self interest and you're focusing on future lives and or you're taking in, into yeah. account karma and these types of things, the propensity for you to behave ethically is a lot higher. And then you add in the third aspect of it, which is just genetics and gene and ancestral lineage and that you look at it and say, if I do something in this world or in this economy that causes it to have a container that's going to foster unethical behavior, then that's going to be normalized and that's going to affect my future generations. Mm -hmm. So your future ancestors. So you look at it and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, focus on my long-term self-interest and consider not just this life, but also future lives as sort of the philosophical foundation and the root. Now, if you look at the, that hybrid system, the philosophical foundation of that interventionism aspect is rooted in altruism. So what altruism means is that you're sacrificing yourself for other people and that is non-reciprocal. And there's a lot of...
1: So meaning you sacrifice yourself for other people in the end, people don't sacrifice themselves back for you and you end up in this tangled state of probably resentment, burnout, um, not being able to continue to give at that propensity because you haven't been given back. And this is sort of like, it's interesting because we have all these high moral ideals. Like I'll, I'll take the example of the beginning of the pandemic. We have all these high moral ideals around like taking care of one another, but then we go during the pandemic and like all toilet paper is gone and you see like people taking 15 bags of toilet paper for themselves and leaving nothing behind for anyone else. And it's like, yeah, human tendency versus what ideally we think it's all going to be in working together are two very different things when we're unconscious.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, further on to that, part of it is that you know with the, the the sacrificing aspect is that is also rooted in a lot of the western spiritual traditions is that it's believed in this life you have to experience misery suffering pain um
1: and that gets and you that to
0: heaven. and that's and that sort of like help other people instead of yourself you know give 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 non-reciprocal sort of sacrifices So this becomes normalized in our society where, okay, what's the philosophical root of this situation that we're living in our socioeconomic framework? It's sacrifice is the foundation of that. And then you look at utilitarianism, which is how our governments operate. Um, They look at sacrificing uh, the few for the well-being of the majority. So another sacrificial theme. So when you're getting into this, it's you're normalizing people sacrificing themselves for other people, you're normalizing uh, sacrificing some people for the betterment of more people so that is another sacrificial element and then when you get into this normalizing behavior of sacrifice then you're getting into a situation where people are like I'm going to sacrifice others for my own short-term self-interest and this is where you get a lot of these issues that occur so with that as our you know socioeconomic framework this hybrid system is that you know Doing things for yourself is considered selfish and wrong, and then sacrificing yourself for somebody else or sacrificing a group of people for another group of people is considered a virtue. But from the, the natural science sort of human biology looking at all organisms on the planet, um, and the concerning thing is sacrificing is unnatural for the organism and if organisms sacrifice themselves they'll eventually go extinct and then on that topic of extinction we've had so many conversations at the supranational government level and pop culture around the extinction of the human species and there's conversations around that being related to pollution warfare and all of these types of things and it's all of that philosophical foundational root of sacrifice. From the research that I do, the argument that I make from a a conscious awareness lens is that a healthy society can never be built on a foundation of sacrifice. I think a healthy society can only be built on a foundation of self-love, consciousness, communication, morality, justice, self-love,
1: This is, this is a a lot to take in. There's a lot here. I think it's, um, it's amazing for us to be able to explore different foundational roots of, you know, these systems of human nature, of psychology, of human behavior, and start to understand that if we do want to see that more conscious world, if we do want to see more conscious systems, the very first place to start and probably the easiest place to start is within ourselves and understanding you know how to cultivate things like self-love and and consciousness and justice and equity within ourselves and then be able to build from that place as opposed to from a place where you know we're giving maybe without even having anything to give or we're taking from people because we believe that there isn't Going to be enough for everyone, so we're like in that space, and all in all, it's gotten really fucked up out there. So, hold on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) thank you.
0: I guess the part of it that you know, I guess the takeaway is that you know, what I said at the beginning is that conscious expansion towards enlightenment is. You know, what the research says in psychology as well as ethics is that when people become more self-aware, increase their level of consciousness, become more enlightened, um, the first step in behaving ethical is awareness and recognition that you're encountering an ethical problem. So if you're expanding your awareness uh, and your consciousness through that evolutionary process, you're going to be more likely to recognize what you're doing, yeah, and what you're doing to other people,, sure. and then you know, through that awareness, there's you know critical thinking and all these other Absolutely. things,
1: and I think it is just we can't really manage to like we've been repeating history you know, for so long in terms of even when we're watching and witnessing the wars and we're witnessing the destruction and all of this stuff, it's just like this large cycle of repeating history over and over and over again. And so again, if we want to be able to do something sublimely different, we're going to have to be able to cultivate a new awareness. Um, We have to approach it from a new lens. And the only way that we're able to do that is to be able to cultivate that within ourselves, within each other, um, and then be able to look at problems through that new lens. So thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you so much, uh, Jeff, for being here on the show today. Um, And for those of you at home that want to learn more or get in touch, we'll definitely link some of Jeff's links into the show notes so you can reach out to him, or you can go to consciouseconomics.ca to find out more about what we're doing here. Thanks so much for tuning in and see you next time.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: This podcast is brought to you by CPP Investments. At CPP Investments, they never lose sight of the long term. They invest the Canadian Pension Plan Fund to help provide financial security for generations of Canadians. They diversify the CPP Fund across geographies and asset classes to access the best investment opportunities and generate sustainable long-term returns. The fund is now more than $400 billion. To learn more about their investment performance for Canadians,
0: visit cppinvestments.com.